Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. That which you feed grows. I mean, we know this in everything in life. Well, hi, my name's Pastor Marvin, and welcome to River Rock. If you're a guest, we're so glad that you took the time to join us. And today, I've titled this message, God's Heart. And I want to ask, or really kind of look at this reality. Well, I'm just going to talk a little bit about myself here. I'm, it's pretty common for me, and maybe even common for you, that when things in life come at you in a certain way, I typically want to ask the question, how is this going to impact me? How is this going to impact the ones I love and how I care for them? And you know, I'm not saying that this is all wrong. It's pretty typical. It's pretty normal. It's common. But when a person takes that kind of view to the extreme, and they're really, really making it all about a self-centered point of view, well, we probably look at a person like that and say, that person's just being selfish. And if we saw another person, and they're looking at life and how this impacts them, and, and they're being very rational about it, well, we would probably say, well, that person's just being responsible. They're being pragmatic about it all. You know, I had a conversation with one of the elders of the church, and his name's Dave Payne, and he's telling me about how he's rereading a book he's read, The Battlefield of Mind, Joyce Myers, and he was reminded about how we need to be those who seek God's face and not just His hand. The concept is this, so many times we're so busy seeking God's hand, which is the hand of provision, versus God's face, which really represents the heart of God. You see, we're all in a pandemic. And I'm wondering, because if we're a babe in Christ, it's normal to just always say, what's in it for me? How does this impact me? What about me? Me, me, me. But if you're a, a mature Christian, You've been seeking the Lord for a long time. I'm wondering if maybe we should be asking the question, what's God's point of view in all of this? How how does God feel about all of this? Have you ever really considered how your choice to look at life from a point of view of me, myself, and I, how that impacts God? How that impacts my relationship between me and God and you and God? I want to talk about God's point of view on things. I want to talk about God's heart. The scriptures actually have a lot to say about the heart of God. And it gives us great insight to what God values and and to what God really cares about. And so I'm going to start with the question. If you're looking at your handout, it's, the first question is, is, has God ever had a broken heart? So number one, God's heart was broken over the generation of Noah. 
It reads in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry. We're going to get into that word in just a minute. He had, every, he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. It's so easy to rewrite past this and miss what, what's really being said here. God's heart was broken. He was broken because of the depravity of humankind. I hope. When we read verses like this in the Bible, we don't just picture a hard, stoic deity looking to be angry and upset with us. Because that's not the image the Word is giving us. The Bible rarely speaks about God ever being regretful or sorry. The Hebrew word here is yinnahem, and it comes from the root word called nakham. And the word is exclusively about emotions, a feeling of pain, of stress, or unhappiness. The word does not imply that God feels that he made a mistake. That's what the scholars are telling us. It's much like when I took my kids to the doctor. I remember in particular, I took Lauren, my oldest, to the doctor for her to get one of her well, her very first immunization shot. And when that doctor took that needle, I mean, it was big. I mean, at least according to her eyes. And then when she got stuck, she turned and looked at me and she cried and she was so upset. And I literally had nakam. I felt the pain that she was experiencing, and I felt so bad for her. But I had no reservations that what had to be done had to be done. It was for her. So, nakam means to literally draw the breath forcefully. It's a deep sigh. It's a sigh of painful sorrow. I sighed when my daughter felt pain because of the decision that was made to get a shot. See, that nakam, it's a sigh of a broken heart. Remember that God is, He's love. And love is never angry because it doesn't get what it wants. God is heartbroken over what's happening to these people because their sin, and, and not, not, he's not upset because of the sin itself, but because of the repercussions, the consequences of sin, of what it's going to do to the people. God granted free will. And because he granted free will, there's the possibility of true love. But with free will comes the possibility of rebellion of destruction and pain and suffering. Today, as in Noah's day, for every soul that goes their own way and insists on living for itself according to their own selfish, sinful desires, 
There's a deep, deep sigh of sorrow in the heart of God. The call of God is always a call to life. God doesn't wish harm on me. He doesn't wish harm on you. In 2 Peter, it tells us this. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow about His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not Now catch this, not wishing, not desiring, right? For any to perish or to face harm, but for all to come to repentance. God's heart was broken because of what was in the heart of that generation of Noah. And so now we go fast forward in time and let's look at number two. And here we find that God's heart was broken over Israel's betrayal. In Hosea chapter 11, this minor prophet is just, it's a powerful setting. He really brings a description about the heart of God and how he loves his people. And he really refers to it as a loving parent. Let's start here, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. This is the Lord speaking. And I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me. Offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols, I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke. From his neck, and I, and I myself stooped to feed him. Five. But since my people refuse to return to me, they will return to Egypt and be forced to serve Assyria. War will swirl through their cities. Their enemies will crash through their gates. They will destroy them, trapping them in their own evil plans. For my people were determined to desert me they call me the most high but they don't truly honor me oh how can i give up israel how can i let you go how can i destroy you like adma or demolish you like symbolum my heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows the, those two names, the Adma and Zimbolum, those are two ally cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were actually um, very close in proximity, and they, they experienced the same demise of Sodom and Gomorrah when that went down. The picture here is a picture of a loving parent that loves Israel. Do you parents remember what it was like? When you first got that little girl, that little boy, and you held them, and you kissed them in the cheek, and you whispered into their little ear, I love you. I love you. That's what you see. There in verse 1, as we just read, when Israel was a child, I loved him. 
And I called my son out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. Do, do you hear the heart of the Father? And let's look at verse 3 and let's identify with, with it in your own experiences. I myself taught Israel how to walk. Do you remember some of you who are parents? How, how you grabbed those little hands and you lifted them up so they could begin to make their little steps. You help them to walk. That's what the Lord's doing with Israel. Leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I that took care of him. Do you remember as a parent how you helped your child who had the chicken pox? Who was so sick and didn't know what to do and they had the fever or they were throwing up and they just needed you to be there. That's the Lord. He's there for His chosen people. When they were in need, He nursed them and cared for them, provided for them. And so He does for us even today. No, you, you don't even realize the Lord says that I took care of you. Do you know what that's like as a parent? The kids get older and they all forget how you were there. Now we're beginning to feel some of the heart of what the Lord is experiencing. In Hosea 11, but this is in the Good News Translation. I just really liked how it read here. And it says, I drew them to me with affection and love. I picked them up and held them to my cheek and bent down to them and fed them. Hey mom, hey dad, do you remember when you held them, those, those little ones, and you couldn't help it? You got a love burst and there was nothing they could do to stop you from wanting to give them a big old smooch. That's what's happening here. This love, this affection, this true love for family. This is God expressing affection. Not just, I'm God and you're my peasant slave. But here comes the breaking of God's heart. After all that expression of love and all the tender care, God's people say to God, just leave me alone. I, I want something very different than you, God. I want bail. I, I want to give myself to iniquity. That's Israel's attitude. In, in verse 2, but the more I called to him, the farther he, being Israel, being us, God's people, move for me, offering sacrifices to, to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. They turn to immorality, to the idols, to materialism. Baal worship was full of debauchery. These people gave their money, their time, their affection to false idols. I wonder... As a nation, if we too aren't just like Israel, breaking the heart of God and, 
having false idols in our life. Things that we say are more important than our relationship with God. More important than showing honor to God. Forgetting how He's cared for us. Forgetting how He was there to lift us up when we couldn't even stand and walk. That He lifted us up out of our own pit and demise. I mean, I wonder how God would respond. How would he respond to Israel with this, I'll tell you all, with his great love? He calls the people to himself. It's as though if they knock on the door and they're, they're smelly and stinky and they're just full of rags and they're, they're just embarrassing to look at and God says, hey, go kill the fatted calf. My kid's home. My child is home. They're back. They were lost, but now they're found. In verse 7 it says, For my people were determined to desert me. I look at our nation and it's hard. I look at when I was a kid and how there was a value system appreciation for the idea of a thing called church. And now the church is in decline, has been, for probably a few decades. And there just isn't a value for it. Academia has a disdain for the idea of God. And everywhere you go, there's this push to desert, to, to get rid of God. I'm wondering... If this pandemic hasn't really caused people to say, that isn't right. I've been a part of that camp. And I don't want to desert God anymore. I want to come home. I want to be back in the presence of my Heavenly Father. I hope that's you, me, all of us as a nation to say, Lord, forgive us. We've deserted you. Yet how does God respond to Israel? You know what he says? Oh, how I cannot give up on Israel. How can I let you go? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. You know what that means? If God feels that way about Israel, that means he feels the same way about me and about you. I'm not going to leave you even though you left me, God says. I love you, child. Welcome home. Let's, let's look at number three in your notes. God's heart is broken over, catch this part, our apathy and our disobedience. So we went from the, the generation of Noah and we've gone to now Israel. Now we're making this personal. Me, you, us. L let's move to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not bring sorrow. So, can we bring God to a broken heart? Let's read it. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own. 
guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Folks, it's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If I grieve the Holy Spirit, I have grieved the Son. I have grieved the Father. And how do I grieve the Holy Spirit? By the way I'm living. And so if I have bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, I have slander, I have evil behavior, I am grieving, I am breaking the heart of the Trinity, of God the Father, of God the Son, of God the Holy Spirit. God has powerful emotions concerning you and me, the children of God. And Paul makes it clear to us in Ephesians 4.30 that we just read that the way we choose to live can bring sorrow, can bring grief to God. Why? Because He cares so much for you. Because He loves us. Because He so desires our highest good. Have you ever started to do something and that you knew it was wrong? And as you proceeded to do it, you could feel this thing starting to go on on the inside of you? And you went ahead and did it anyways? You know what I'm talking about? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, to your spirit, that this is bringing me grief. Oh, child of God, stop. That's the Holy Spirit giving you a check on the inside. Stop. It's breaking my heart. Not for me, but for the consequences and the pain and the suffering that's going to come to you. That's going to come to the ones who are close to you. Stop. I want to be a person who cares about what God feels. I don't want to be self-centered. That every decision out there is based upon me, myself, and I. And how does it make me feel? And what can I benefit and get out of this? Or what can I avoid? What about God? I'm not a baby Christian anymore, and most likely you're not either. So the question needs to stop being, what about me? And how about, what about Him? Why is He feeling this way? What does God know that I need to know? Am I delighted that the Father has so much love for me? And then if I do something that is wrong, that it grieves Him because of His great passion and love for me? It's essential that we understand why God is grieved by our disobedience. It's because of His great love for you. Isn't that the heart of the Father in Luke chapter 15. I don't have time to go into it, but open up your Bible. Go to Luke chapter 15 when this message is done, and there you find the story of the prodigal son. 
They're the prodigal son. He says, Dad, give me all my money. I want my inheritance now. And he chooses to go live for himself. He doesn't want dad's godly counsel. He doesn't want dad's experience and understanding. He just wants his money. And then he's going to take off and show complete dishonor. He's going to desert dad. He's leaving. And on he goes. And he wastes all the inheritance in ungodly evil living. He finds himself in a pig pen as a Jewish guy feeding the pigs. And he was so hungry, he was willing to eat the slop. The, the, what the pigs were eating, he wanted to eat. I don't know about you, but that is really taking a dive in the wrong direction. It's there the Bible says that he came to his senses and says, I'll go back and ask my dad. You don't even have to call me your son anymore, Dad. Can, can you just let me be one of your servants? And he's ready to go home. This story, the real focus is not about the son. The real focus is about the heart and the love of the Father. It's all about God's heart. How his heart was broken and how he was constantly looking for his son to come home. And the day his son came home, he ran to his son. Men did not run in public. He would have to live up his wardrobe and reveal his legs. That was an embarrassment. He didn't care. His son, who was lost, was not found. He had come home. He came home. I have no doubt in my mind that the father of the prodigal son and the prodigal who never left home, that's a story for another day, he had been good to both these sons. That he loved them both and that he had taught them all the ways of the Lord. But when they became adults, he did the wise thing. He treated them as adults. Those of you who are older and you have adult children, are you treating your children as adults? Letting them make adult decisions and sometimes having to, to suffer the consequences of a poor decision. Poor decisions result in what? Very difficult, hard, and sometimes bad consequences. But sometimes that's how we learn. I learn from either Mr. Consequence or I learn for Mr. Wisdom. When I go to this classroom, I do it wrong. I, I run into the wall and my nose bleeds and all the blood's gushing out. And I find out running to wall with your nose, not smart, consequence, bloody nose. Or I listen from Mr. Wisdom's class. And you know what he tells me? Um, don't run into wall with your nose. Look what happened to the other guy. You learn from other people's mistakes and triumphs. That's Mr. Wisdom. I believe that secretly that the father of this prodigal son, that his heart was broken. That's why he was looking every day on the horizon, seeing if his boy was coming home. He wasn't concerned about his own well-being. He was concerned about the well-being of his son. 
What was his father's heart doing during the absence of his son? You know as well as I do. You know he was interceding. You know he was praying for him. Was he angry? It doesn't say that he was angry. Does he care about the ingratitude? It doesn't say he's focusing on the ingratitude. He's not focusing on all these painful, hurtful emotions. You know what he's focusing on? Is my boy coming home. I love him. I want what's best for him. I don't want him to suffer. I don't want him to have to feed the pigs. I want him to be home, close to me. I think his dominant thought was, I miss my boy, and I love him. Love never gives up hope on your child. That's why the father was ready to receive. That's why he was ready to receive him when he came home. He wasn't full of animosity and resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. The first thing he does Put the best garment on him. Put sandals on him. Put a ring on his hand. And get the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate. You know, when the son humbled himself, God was able, the father was able to bestow all this blessing. Church, I don't know where you're at. But maybe in this pandemic, in this season, Maybe things have faltered and you've been a little upset with the Lord and you have said, I've I've kind of deserted God. Maybe you've gone to the point where, hey, I I just want what I want and I'm going to do it my way and and you're just going to take off. And I'm asking, what do you think God thinks? Do you think maybe his heart's broken by all the pain and suffering that everybody's facing? Do you think that he approves of all all of this? Or does he want a nation to come back to him? A nation in this situation to seek him. Do you know that that's what God does? The second Adam and Eve sinned and ate the apple, the first thing he asks Adam is, where are you? He's seeking for him. Through all the scriptures, we find God is always seeking His people. He's seeking for you. Here He is, He's looking for the prodigal son every day. In church, do you know that the Lord's looking for you? That He is seeking to be with you. Be in His presence. Say, Father... What's in your heart today? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to feel? What do you want me to experience? What do you want me to do? God, I want your heart in me. Oh God, your will. God, your way and in your time. I think God's tugging on people's hearts today. And I know you're maybe watching this on a phone or 
a laptop or some device. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's ministering to you right now. Maybe you know that for some of you, you, you've been like the generation of Noah. Or maybe you've deserted God much like the people of Israel. Or maybe it's the prodigal son, and this is just really personal between you and God. But in all of that, God loves you. And He's calling you. And I pray that although you can't go to the altar here at the church, you can fall on your knees and let that be the altar there in your home where you get it right with God right here, right now. And watch how the Lord will bless you. Why? Because He loves you. He wants to throw a party for you. Would you close your eyes? If you need to, get on your knees. Maybe you lift up your hands. And Father, I just pray right here, right now, for every person that's watching this, that says, I've, I've deserted God. I've been angry with God. I said, I'm going to do it my own way. And, and just maybe because I'm scared, maybe I'm frustrated, maybe because I'm just not getting what I want, how I want it. And maybe it's time for me to stop being about me, myself, and I and saying, Father God, I know you love me. Help me to show gratitude and love and appreciation to you. God, forgive me. Forgive me my heart that caused me to run from you instead of allowing you, like you said in Hosea, that you just want to embrace me as a child and kiss me and tell me how much you care and love and express your passion for me. God, touch your people. Touch these marriages. Rescue them. For all those who are getting cabin fever and, and they're tense and they're angry and they're snappy and they're just losing their, their, their cool and, and Father, the strain of not having work or not having the monies and when is this and when is that? God, I pray you just do miracles in the name of Jesus. I pray you bring healing to people's bodies. There are a few people I sense right now who are struggling with headaches. God, heal them in Jesus' name. God, I sense some who are just aching. God, bring vitality and strength back to their body in Jesus' name. Oh, Father, bring hope to people. Help us to be mindful that we are in relationship with you and that you are not some God in a genie bottle, that you are there for us. And Father, we need to be there with you and for you Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Oh, Father, we love you. Bless your people. Fill them with joy and laughter this week. We pray your will, your way, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.